Hi there. Welcome uh, inside the Midlife Pilot Podcast, a podcast all about uh, learning to fly and, and aviation later in life. And uh, this is episode six of the show. And tonight we're talking all about what do you do once you've earned your private pilot certificate? And uh, it should be, should be a good time. Uh, my name is Chris Moran, also known as the Midlife Pilot on YouTube. And uh, my esteemed co-host from the Southern-ish west east central i don't know the region near the country music capital of the world nashville tennessee brian siskind it's actually uh hey hey chris how's it going it's actually tornado alley now is i think what we call Mm. it so um yet another one just went by the other day um the same path as the march 2020 tornado so i live about a mile and a half from john toon airport which is where i fly out of and just north of uh, that, that airport, uh, we had another one come through. So, um, uh, and what's really wild by the way, is that, um, there's all this construction is happening there because of the last tornado that destroyed everything. And, uh, so there's hangars being built everywhere and it's just chaos. And so all these planes are displaced with no place to be and there's oh. no tie downs for them. So this one was coming through with all these planes out there just chalked up and hoping for the best. <laughs> I could have ended up with a 172 in my backyard, which maybe would have been fortuitous. I don't know. <laughs> You've been trying to figure out how to get a plane. So <laughs> right. That's one way. <laughs> but uh, awesome. yeah, everything, everything's good. We're good. And, uh, you know, I'm here with a, a cold beverage that's, uh, what do you call it? Seltzer water. And uh, I'm excited to be here. And it is a unique thing, right? Like the midlife pilot, uh, question right you get you you want this thing so bad you get it so then what do you do with it we're not going to atp we're not going to you know uh go join a a regional airline job or whatever we just want to do it so then you kind of get so head down with the training so now what so i'm looking forward to hearing what people have to say about it yeah it should be exciting uh i want to take a minute up front though uh real quick in this episode to just remind everybody that this the uh, the, we we do this we, we record these live on wednesday nights um, and we do it on YouTube and Facebook and whatever, uh, and participate with, with the audience. And it's great. This audio podcast though is available now, uh, everywhere. The podcasts are available. And, um, so if you want a chance to just listen to us, an hour long show, we keep it to an hour. It's a great like commute listen. Um, be sure to subscribe at your favorite podcast place. And if you're already subscribed, do us a favor and just like leave us a rating and maybe a review. In fact, we have a review I wanted to read tonight, uh, real quick, right at the top from cigar lover 68, who says honest content from two low hour private pilots, useful, applicable information provided in a fun, relaxed presentation. I mean, that's look at us fun and relaxed. Is that not hit the nail on the head? Uh, You'll always walk away from an episode with something helpful or encouraging. So thank you very much for that. It's very kind. It's exactly kind of what we, Brian and I talked about when we set out to do this, which was, um, it's not like a, we're not like teaching how to fly and we're not instructing and we're not experts in the field. Um, We're just talking about our experiences and the hope that it may, it's kind of what my YouTube channel has been from the beginning. Like hopefully that the experiences that we're having are helpful uh, and fun for others. So anyway, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool to see. What you're saying, Chris, is that you want to be a beacon of light. Exactly. In a dark, dark world. (laughs) So doing the best we can. No, it is really cool. I mean, and your, your channel is uh, definitely a, a, an originating sort of uh, impetus to that spirit and that philosophy and that, you know, sort of humility of walking into it and, and, uh, and respecting aviation and the quest and, and all that. Um, so it's really amazing that anybody can walk away with, uh, you know, any kind of encouragement. That's great. 
Exactly. So what's been going on? You've been flying? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, been flying. It's, it's been, um, you know, I'm basically just trying to figure out how many people want to fly with me so that I can share the expense. That's really what it's about at this point. Um, but no, uh, I've done some flying, nothing crazy, but you know, flying to breakfast and, and, uh, going to some neat locations and it's been awesome. Uh, I've had a great time. I've had great flights, no major hiccups or problems or anything like that. So yeah, all good. Very cool. I actually, for once, I can report also that I have also been flying, uh, which is an abnormality lately. I've actually flown both planes, and I want to mention to everybody real quick, I don't know if you remember, we we have in our flying club that I run, we have two airplanes. We have the 235, Cherokee 235, which is my plane that I've been flying a lot. And we have a Cessna 172, which is kind of the OG uh, of this club plane. Well, the 172 has been down uh, out of service since September 13th, we hit some geese uh, at the Fairmont Airport. Um, there is a picture of it the night of the goose strike. Did some damage there to the to the right leading edge of the wing. Ended up being a pretty expensive repair. But the biggest problem wasn't the cost. The biggest problem was finding parts. Like ended up, you know, we ended up manufacturing a part uh, to fix the the skin of the leading edge. Anyway, the point is it took took a few months to get to that point well this plane i'm happy to report i posted on instagram yesterday is officially out of the shop back online um another club member and i flew it yesterday for the first time in three months uh we put 1.2 on it yesterday just kind of making sure everything was still good and test flying it and it flew fantastic and now we're back at full strength and i just checked um i saw i got notifications on flight aware a few minutes ago both of our club planes at night were out flying around here tonight with club members so so it is so awesome to be back at full strength in the club and have both of our planes flying. That has been three months worth of crazy. So wow, and that's kind of that's kind of like the midlife pilot mascot plane if you really think about it. It is. It's the OG. I mean, that's that's what started it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I've you know don't take this personally, Chris, but you know when you started flying the Cherokee, I'm like, I can't relate to this. I don't know what like, this is crazy. There's all this different stuff. I want to see somebody suffering through what I suffered through. And leading the way, and you know, learning from in that way. But uh, I have gotten to the point where I can find value in, in, in I have charity these, videos. So I just want you to know that it's well, still thank good you. with I, me. I have this input from both sides. I'm actually getting people <laughs> who are like, "Don't fly that." They see that I posted a picture on Instagram with the 172, and they're like, "Fly the 235." Those are the videos I want to see. So like, I'm getting oh. both sides. But I do have content coming. I got one coming out tomorrow for patrons, and this weekend for everyone is a 235 video. Uh, and then I have, we, we actually, we videoed the test flight last night in the 172. So including like the high speed taxis down the runway and the other stuff we did. So that's, that one will be coming out in a week or so. Um, which is kind of cool. That was a, that was a fun and slightly nerve wracking experience. I mean, it was just wing leading edge damage, but you know, and that was easy repair. It's not like that's not moving part, right? I mean, that's pretty straightforward. More for me was the fact that it sat for three months. You know what I mean? Like yep. all the other components, what I was worried about. So we did some ground, big, you know, full power ground work and then stayed around the airport, you know, just kind of orbiting for a little, kind of like what you do when you're breaking in a new engine or an overhaul, you know, just kind of making sure you're good before you head out. Uh, did you wear any kind of uh, helmet or extra safety equipment just to kind of lean into the occasion a little bit? I should have. Instead, yeah. I wore I wore a ridiculous T-shirt. I can't wait for you to see it. Uh, <laughs> it'll be in the video. And then also, I had a pack of mints and uh, two bottles of water. That was the extra material that I took. Well, I mean, if you're going to go down, have fresh breath, right? That's what I always say. 
<laughs> um, sweet. So yeah, let's jump in. Want to? What? Um, you've got your private certificate now. What? It's a good question, I think, um, because you're right. You do. You're working so hard to get there. I experienced that a little bit after my check ride. It was kind of like. You know, now what do I do with it? Uh, what oh, I've been up with my instructor so much. Like I had regimented things that I was going to do to fly. I, mean, I was going to the practice area. I was going to Clarksburg to work in the pattern. Like, uh, what do you do with it once it's once it's yours? You have the freedom. What What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I've, um, you definitely have. I think tunnel vision because you're just, especially once you're getting into almost check ride you just want to get it done and that's all you're thinking about it's been interesting for me i mean i have a different set of possibilities than say you do i mean you have a flight club um planes at your disposal and all that um at the same time you know i mean i i can rent planes and fly planes and it's not impossible but i do have limitations in terms of how far i can kind of go and i can't do overnights yet although um uh side note my uh flight school um, is getting a fleet of, uh, Redbird Red Hawks, which is a very interesting, uh, thing because they're diesel, um, and they are push button start, FADEC run ups, all this kind of weird refurb 172s. But anyway, uh, should be pretty interesting. And I believe that some of those might be allowable now to take overnight. Um, and so that really opens it up for me. I feel like, you know, I actually ran into my instructor the other day and he was sort of, I wouldn't say he was saying anything negative, but he was kind of like, are you kind of, are you done with the airport hopping phase of post private pilot license acquisition kind of thing? He didn't say it in those words, but it was sort of like, kind of like, are you ready to go ahead and get your instrument or whatever? And we've talked a little bit about this, you know, where it's like, like for me, not only am I sort of recovering financially and just trying to make sure I stay just constantly flying and not let anything atrophy and continue sort of growing uh, within the constraints that I have, but it's also um, it's also about, um, you know, I want to be a VFR pilot for a while, actually. And there's a lot of instrument pilots that will tell you um, just because I'm instrument rated doesn't mean I'm going and hunting those conditions. You know, it's not like all of a sudden the world's available to you in this whole new way. I mean, it is, but it's also not a license to start flying in, in conditions that you shouldn't. So it's a whole thing. But, um, but anyway, so I find it very interesting, the whole dilemma. I want to hear what people have to say about either what they're envisioning that they're going to do when they finish or what they've done right away um, after getting it done. You know, for me, it's definitely been exploring and I'm still just getting used to the whole thing, right? Like I'm just, I still can't believe, you know, this is what I kind of wanted to tell my instructor when he was kind of, no, nah, he wasn't being negative, but he was kind of like, all right, buddy, but like when are you going to be done with this phase? I, to me, it's existentially amazing that I can go legally, go get in an airplane and then go fly it around and then bring it back to an airport. That's bonkers to me still. So, right. uh, so anyway, the smallest thrills are still really, really big for me. And, you know, when I do get a rental long enough to be able to stop and go get lunch or breakfast, that's, that's enough for me right now. And also just sharing it with friends, like we've talked about, you know, when we talked about sort of flying with nervous passengers and all that, that kind of, that kind of stuff you don't get training on. So, um, that's been a really a real focus for me is learning how to fly different types of people around and acclimate them to the environment and, and just go through all the, you know, I learn something every time I fly and until that, you know, stops, uh, I feel like I'm satiated for now. So I don't need to do any grandiose things. 
That's fair. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I took, um, I was in, a, I was very anxious to take my first passenger, right? You know, as soon as after I got my certificate and I, I didn't really know who that was going to be per se, but it ended up being my friend Kevin, who we made um, a video about my first passenger. Uh, we went to Elkins and just kind of bebopped around a little bit. Um, that was pretty fun. In fact, it's Kevin who's in the videos coming out uh, this weekend. We went in the 235 about 70 miles away and just for lunch on a Sunday, you know, just like not for any purpose other than like go out and have a meal with someone. We ate at a restaurant. We joke. Um, it's in the video, but we went to a place that you wouldn't, if, if you live there, you wouldn't go to eat the food, <laughs> right. right? But the, the novelty of it is it's a, it's a diner at an airport and that's always, you know, anything at an airport is great. So like, I think some of that just like, uh, it, that's certainly one aspect of it, like the, sharing it with others and, and that. Uh, I've been trying to be, um, so like staying night current, like there's, here's some weird things, like trying to find little missions within the private scope to, um, to continue to execute. Like if you're in the training mode and you don't want to give that up, which you never really do want to give that up, but like not everybody, I, I don't fly at night voluntarily. Like, I just don't like I don't like the associated risk of it in a single engine uh, airplane, but I want to be current in the event that I need to land after dark or that I have people with me or whatever. So uh, I'm staying night current by going out, you know, getting the landings that I need uh, and that stuff uh, after dark. Um, I think that's a fun mission just to keep, you know, that's one you've always got. You can keep on a calendar and, you know, know when you've got to do that and just mm-hmm. stay, uh, stay on it. Um some of the training stuff, you know, I think uh, I still love pattern work. I mean, I still love going to Clarksburg and knocking out 10 landings at a time and spending an hour just um, just playing with that. Power mm-hmm. off 180s. Just like how many different ways can I do? How many flap configuration landings can I do? And how many different uh, things can I get done in the one hour that I want to put on this Hobbs today? You know, those kind of things. And mm-hmm. so I think there's value in that. And then there's some other stuff that we've, I don't know that we've ever talked about on this show. I, I've been, there's some of the nonprofit um, flying out there that exists. You know, there's all kind of charity flights. There's people ones, but there's also animal ones. If you're an animal person, now again, this will determine on your uh, access to airplane situation and whether your place you're renting planes from allows it or whatever. But like Pilots and Pauls is a great organization. I've been a member for, as soon as I got my private. I haven't flown any missions yet just because there's, we, I, I check the message board almost every day or every other day. I haven't had any that worked geographically in my area that worked with a schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am very excited. And so is my daughter. I mean, we're, we're, I'm very excited about the opportunity to like help take pets that need to get from a shelter somewhere to a forever home or whatever the mission may be to like move some dogs and cats around. I think that is an excellent thing to do. And there's no added pressure of like taking someone, a human being to their treatment at a hospital or, you know, I mean the, the added pressure of additional passenger carrying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm allergic to animals and I don't own a plane. So the odds of me doing that are very slim, but I think that's a valid certainly a valid mission. Uh, I think that's great. I, I actually I had a question for you. I guess I was wondering, is there anything that, um, that you feel like, uh, so for example, I think I've mentioned this before. Um, since I got my, since I passed my check ride, I have done zero stalls and I will not do them unless I'm with an instructor. And some people think that's weird. Um, but do you have certain things that you 
don't do a lot of that you did in training that you kind of either wish you did more or just won't do without an instructor? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably need to get out and do some maneuvers. Truthfully, I'm trying to think I've had my certificate for a year and two months now. I can count on one hand, the number of, uh, steep turns and stalls I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would, and it's not, it's not for lack of, I mean, I, I would feel, I would feel comfortable doing them on my own. Um, I think that's a personal preference kind of thing, but you probably should do them. I mean, there's certainly value in staying. I say I haven't done any steep turns. I have definitely, I have definitely <laughs> executed a steep turn as an actual maneuver, uh, you know, into an airport. Like when specifically, I'm thinking of occasion. In fact, almost a, almost a steep turn. I don't know that I actually got to 45 degrees yesterday, but it was close. It's 45 <laughs> or 60, 60, which, what steep turns for private? Is it 45, 45, or 60? 45. Yeah, yeah. it was closer. It might've been 45, uh, crossing midfield, you know, in a teardrop turn back to, to enter downwind, you know, we had to cross over the field to get on the correct side and then descending turned that back to downwind. And I was a little tight to the airport and wanted to end up right on the downwind. So that's just a you know, nice steep bank turn, uh, right into the pattern. So I, no, I say I haven't done one, but also, I haven't done one in performing the, for the ACS, but I've right. done them in real life. Uh, Zach here has a good point. He's saying he doesn't do any hood work without an instructor. So that's, I think that's sound. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you would have to have, <laughs> I mean, legally, obviously, but uh, you could do it with another passenger if you're If you do it by yourself, do you also get the safety pilot? Yeah, you, you log them both. Plus, yeah. <laughs> that's plus how you simulated. double your time. Yeah, nobody will, you know, what's the big deal? It's the worst that could happen. Right. No, so, you know, I think that, um, I think a lot of people have, uh, it depends on where you live and what you have access to. And I know it's sort of an open-ended question, but um, I'm also disinterested because I feel like I have various levels of comfort with different types of missions at this stage. You know, uh, there's certain things where I'm still sort of in the mindset of, making sure that the people I fly with are either already interested in training themselves or are just really open to the experience. And I'm not really in a position to, you know, have any utility or function to get people from one place to the next. Like I'm still very much uh, gingerly walking myself forward towards more uh, missions of particular responsibility or certain uh, planning or timings or things that are going to put any kind of pressure on the outcome. I've had already definitely, you know, several flights where it's like, uh, yeah, the plan we have for today, that's not happening. We're just going to go do this and it'll be fun and it'll be great. And there's just never been a problem. So I, I've always left myself an out in that way, but I'm interested about, you know, um, you know, you, you, in some of your videos, you, you were able to actually find work purposes really early, you know, to go, uh, and, you know, uh, do recon missions for, for work things. And all yes. That. And that's, that's all. If you, if you have that luxury to, to use it, to, uh, travel for your job, uh, that was, you know, for our own company that we own for our video production company, that's, it's actually came in handy a few times. Um, the company that I work for now does not allow you to travel by general aviation as a pilot. Um, for work on work related business. Uh, it's a liability. I'm sure it's a liability problem for a lot of companies, or at least they feel like it is. So we're working on that. Um, currently with some 
trying to get maybe some uh, procedure policies changed or some waiver options or whatever. So I don't have that luxury in my in my day job currently. But yeah, for work, um, I think maybe even other just aviation related things that may excite you. Like I, I'm a huge fan of like big busy airspace i don't have a lot of it around me like pittsburgh is the closest bravo to me and it's very close i mean it's within you know like 40 miles or 50 miles of me i love going to bravo airspaces if i can get in them and like doing city tours and doing stuff that don't be afraid to challenge yourself i mean i think is part of it like Mm -hmm. if if you're into that kind of thing i you know i not everybody is but i like the ATC communication. I like the instructions. Like I like being told things that I need to do and then being able to execute them uh, mm-hmm. accordingly. Don't do yeah. it blindly. Obviously you kind of plan what you're going to do. It's not just like go willy nilly, but um, I think challenges like that are good. If you've got reason when you have an excellent, excellent area near you uh, to, of course, Nashville's a Charlie maybe, is it? Yes, it is. Uh, I thought I thought it was a Bravo, but it's, it's not. It's a fairly, I would say, for a class Charlie, it's a fairly hectic class oh, Charlie. Yeah. Um, it's probably that's, busier. That's, I need to look it up. It may be as busy or close to as Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, and that's that's the extent or the ceiling of whatever my uh, tower experience is. I still haven't made it to a Bravo yet. I think the nearest is going to be Memphis or uh, Atlanta. So I just haven't made it that far. I haven't had a reason to to get into a Bravo right. yet or the easy ability to train near one or anything like that. That's a weakness for sure. But, you know, I think that with all those things, um, I think once you've gone through enough of the rigor of training and then you kind of get out there on your own, uh, you know, I think that what happens is uh, even if you're ap- not apprehensive, even if you're a little nervous about maybe something that's stretching a little bit beyond what you've done, you've already done so much of that so many times where you've already told yourself, I don't know how the hell I'm going to do this or like, I don't right. you know how does this work or whatever. And then you just figure it out and then you put yourself in the situation and then you figure it out. And ultimately with any kind of tower communications, uh, it's always been a positive thing for me, you know, um, where I'm not afraid to just, you know, especially when I was a student pilot, just, you know, Hey, student pilot, uh, explain to me like I'm five, you know? Right. And, um, you know, I'll probably still do that sometimes, but, but yeah, I mean, so, you know, but you have that again, like you have that SIM background where you were doing a lot of, a lot of, you were doing comms and SIM work at the same time, right? That's one of my favorite. I I give this tip to so many people who ask me about stuff early on in their training. Like, what can I be doing at home? You know, Mm -hmm. do I need a flight simulator? I cannot enough emphasize, uh, subscribing even if you just and you can do this you can come in and out as much as you want there's a service called um pilot edge pilotedge.net that offers um they have set schedules they have a staff of people these are real human beings that um uh, that offer air traffic control service to you on your flight simulator so like you they have a region that they run you install plug-in for whether you use microsoft or x-plane or whatever your sim of choice is and then you communicate with them, like literally with audio. They see you, you see them, you get, they see your transponder codes and your altitudes. There's all kind of, in addition to just, you can just go as a VFR pilot or IFR if you're practicing for your instrument or whatever. 
you can go do pattern work at a tower and talk to them and get clearances and how to find you see all the other traffic other people who are there with you like other humans you hear them uh it is a real kind of immersive experience into it with less pressure now i say less pressure and it is they're legit though like you don't you can mess up and they'll kind of teach you and help you through but if you're if if it's just somebody trying to come in and like be a yahoo and screw around like they don't they don't tolerate that like you've got to be in here it's like for the leroy perfect. jenkins thing exactly yeah <laughs> leroy jenkins um they won't tolerate nonsense i mean that you know that they're there for a serious purpose but it was so incredibly helpful there's a free, you know, that sim virtual air traffic simulation has been around for a long, long time. It's free, but the level of controllers and availability is because it's all that's all volunteer based. Pilot Edge is a subscription, and they pay their people. So there's, yeah, there, there. You know, anyway, point is, it's it was fantastically helpful. Like I can't even tell you how prepared I felt. Like I never thought about radios when I started training. Like it was natural from lesson one like i didn't have to think about it ever flying and that was so it just took so much off because i see so many people struggle with that that you know because that's a lot of times people don't think about that before they start training right it's like all the flying things and then suddenly they throw radio work at you and you're like oh my god i haven't even thought about what i need to ever say here you know and mm-hmm. you have to kind of come up with all that while you're in the airplane and learn it as you go and it was so how, really how realistic are these people in terms of um various temperaments and attitudes and all that oh i got i got yelled i got in trouble on uh on um <laughs> pilot edge more than once um for just kind of be stupid things that i did i mean you know stakes are much lower right so you're you're it's a little easier to just miss something or not be paying super close attention. Plus, you know, all these, all your flights and uh, planes have autopilot and you can just kind of like, you're taking calls and doing whatever else you're doing while you're like doing <laughs> right. this. Um, but uh, yeah, I got in trouble a couple of times for um, just completely busting airspace or doing stuff, but it's, it's very, very. <laughs> so uh, it's unlikely in, in, uh, in the real world that you would have, uh, a second monitor watching The Godfather while eating lasagna. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But it's good. I I mean, I encourage, I mean, there's a, they have a trial, you know, you can sign up for free and try it and see if it's your cup of tea, but it, it's great. Isn't it? I think, I think it's weird that I've just never even tried it. Like I have no, like this, this, I, I, I think I maybe did the Microsoft flight simulator when i was a kid you know like in the 80s like one of the earliest yeah. ones you know where it was just really crude uh but i i honestly i wonder if that would really i don't know i'm like one of those people where I'm, not, I'm not a i'm not a gamer i'm not a so i don't know if that i don't know i just feel like it's like a it's like a way of doing things that i'm i'm just more into the real thing but i feel yeah. like i know i'm cutting myself off from that experience and i need to probably uh do it well, there's definitely value in that radio part, but also like when you get instrument, for sure, there's value in simulation. Oh, yeah. In fact, so like my subscription with a pilot is on hold currently. I don't have, I haven't been, first of all, I don't have the time currently, but I also haven't been using it, but I'm going to reactivate it. They have a whole IFR series of trainings and stuff that you can do kind of along with your actual training fly. There's just tons of scenario based stuff that you can do um, pilot edge with controllers. That now see, that's such a key part of instrument flying, right? Like, there's far less uh, requirements as a VFR pilot that involve 
air traffic controllers. But as, as an instrument pilot, like it's incredibly important to be able to follow instructions and inner holds and take vectors and do the things that you, you need to do. Um, so when I get started on my instrument training, I'm definitely starting that subscription again and doing it um, and doing Is- it again because it was helpful. So I don't want to take us even further off topic, but one more question about the the sim thing, which would be: uh, Is there anything that when you're doing the sim that you that is frustrating in the sense that it's so? I know that everything's very hyper real in terms of graphics, and it's amazing, and you know all this stuff. But is there anything about it where you you're just maybe frustrated that it just there's a part of the experience that just does not encapsulate, like maybe oh, how yeah. how it lands, or I don't know. Just oh something. yeah, for me, it's all of the mechanics of the actual. I mean, they've they've done a They've gotten so good at the at the modeling of these airplanes and how they behave aerodynamically, but there are some things you can't emulate. First of all, you, you obviously you don't have any of the sensations of of flying, which is hard. Mm. I find that like I find it incredibly harder to land the one seventy two in the X plane eleven than I do landing the real one. It's just so like I've I've worked really hard to dial in like the sensitivity settings of my yoke and my rudder pedals and the whole thing, but like it's just like hyper weird and like, yeah. you, just, you know, you lose a little bit of the feeling. Uh, I mean, you can't, okay. you can't simulate the, uh, simulate some of the feelings. And then we need to answer a couple of things here before we get yeah. off the flight. Sim. We would like to hear, we'd like to hear from people. Student aviator said flight sims have helped me in ways I never understood until I began my PPL training. And that I, I feel like it was a huge part of mine as well. I was a sim, I was a simmer way, way. I mean, Years and years and years and years before I ever started training. So I, I probably, I joke with people, I probably had 5,000 sim hours, like, or something ridiculous over my lifetime before well, you I, know, I had. So the last flight I, uh, I even posted a video of, but it's with a, a buddy of mine, and he is um, looking to start training because he hasn't trained at all yet. Uh, and he's done a lot of sim uh, stuff or whatever. And I, it is incredible to me how we got in the plane and got into cruise and I let him, you know, sort of fly for a little bit and all this. But the thing was, is that here he is in the right seat. He was not there. He didn't look outside for even us a millisecond. He was just, he might as well have been hood, hood, hood flying. It was just all just instruments the whole, the whole time. I was like, we should look out here you know, there's this whole thing, you know, but uh, uh, in a good way, oh, right? I, mean, I wasn't being a jerk about it, but it was just sort of funny to me that my instinct as a not sim person, I think uh, I had much less problem getting outside um, dealing in, I don't know, reality <laughs> versus, right. Right, right. versus uh, you know, I think people that can maybe come up with a lot of sim stuff, especially if they haven't started training yet and they haven't balanced out how to look at everything uh, proportionally. Uh it was just so funny to me that he was. It, as soon as he got the rain, as soon as he got control for a second, he, it was just locked on, and and his head did not move the entire time. So, do you find that that was a thing for you? Yeah, I like looking inside. I I, I struggled with that, and Tyler, my instructor, yelled at me a fair amount about uh, looking out, keep my you know looking outside occasionally. I still do it. I mean, I catch myself still. Um, yeah getting over fixated on something and, you know, having to tell myself like eyes outside, eyes outside. I'm now I'm getting better about it. Some of the times I used to be completely petrified of airspeed, like about 
83% of the time I was in the airplane. So like <laughs> in the pattern, it was like, I looked at the airspeed indicator about every half a second, you know, like yeah, yeah. those things, those things do change with time. You just you start feel. to feel, yeah. yeah, you yeah. know how fast you're going and where you're at and how the plane's feeling. And it just, you don't have to get so focused on that anymore. But so, um, so I don't mean to cut you off here, but I want to get people in the chat to talk a little bit. Uh, give us, um, uh, either things that you envision that you want to do when you get your your private uh, certificate, or things that you immediately did or are doing, and uh, if you're newly certificated, um, or if you're wise and old, you know, um, and have done this forever, uh, tell us your ways. Um, but share it with the group. Stephen Caldwell says, uh, "Yeah, I'm pretty bummed about not being able to do overnight trips." Once I'm licensed, like you were talking about, Brian, mm-hmm. I haven't done any research, but I'd love to start a flying club like Chris. I'll tell you, there, there's, um, there are a ton of benefits to them. Uh, this isn't going to become the flying club episode, but we, we should do one at some point. Uh, yeah. it, they are such an asset to the aviation community yeah. um, because there are so many little areas in the regulations carved out for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can, you can structure it as a nonprofit. You, there's just so many things you can do um, that make it. I wouldn't say easy. I mean, you got to have a dedicated group of people that want to come together and work on something. But there are like a hundred different ways to craft it, depending on what fits your circumstance. So there, um, and the AOPA uh, has tremendous resources. They have a whole. They have a staff. There's like three people on their flying club team uh-huh. uh, there to help with getting them started, and then how to kind of get some guidance. So okay. I would, uh, I would be happy at any time to talk to anyone about. Uh, well, so yeah, I have two questions then. One is why aren't like, are there people that are skilled in this in such a way and experienced in this in such a way that they offer them their services in a consultancy, you know, where it's like, uh, don't have time to figure out all the things about a flying club. Right. Yeah. Write that down. Uh, it just seems like that would be, a you know, you could, you could like, is there a way for you to sort of pencil yourself into some access or equity with all these various flying clubs that you actually engineer starting through these different uh, kind of to make it really streamlined and really procedural. You could, I could, someone could, uh, I be a consultant. I mean, you could certainly help people get get them started. Um, the issue comes you, really. There is no legitimate way to operate one as for profit. There are all kind of reasons, leg, legality reasons, why you cannot do that mm-hmm. uh, and still be recognized as a flying club. Now, mm-hmm. that is not to say that there aren't any. In fact, someone sent me a podcast. I need to look up the name of this school again or this uh, club again. I forget. It's in Florida. The, this place is massive. They operate at like 10 different airports. They have a staff. Like, I don't know how they're. I'm not sure how they're getting around some of the regulations for operating as a club for profit. I mean, Florida. There's a yeah, flow exactly. There's there is definitely a dividing line between like a flight school slash um, aircraft rental company and a mm-hmm. club, and the protections and benefits that you get for uh, being a nonprofit club should not apply to for profit. And there are a couple people who are trying to do it, and it, it's only a matter of time, I think, until they're they're going to get shut down. So that's that's the, that's the first reason that most people don't put a ton of effort into like doing it because like we have a club now that's with almost thirty members, um, 
and there's a fair amount of you know money that comes in, but just it's all gone back out again. I mean, there is nobody's getting paid, nobody's getting. There's no, uh, there is no profit being made. The mm-hmm. what we are getting out of it is super cheap access to airplanes. I mean, our our members are paying like fifty dollars an hour for this one seventy two that they're flying, um, and it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm so tempted. I'm just going to leak this out a little bit, but I'm not going to go down this path. But I'm, I just wanted to make a joke about. Uh, actually, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. But it's funny how I guess when people come together for the common good and share resources, it's amazing what you can actually do when you're not profit motivated. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> fair. I'm, but, but, I am with you 100. percent So. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> But, uh, oh, God, it's so funny. All right, so uh, so I guess I'm just wondering um, uh, if I'm a person with no airplane, can I start a flying club? I know that's a weird question. Can I just so like, I be did. like, I'm, a, I'm the president, now find people with planes. Right. So here's a pivot. Uh, episode 6A is now titled... Uh, oh, my God, I know. We just I'll went start off a flying the rails. Club. We made it 37 minutes into this topic, and now we are on to flying clubs. Um, so, yes. So, there's – okay. I, I, let's, I guess let's commit to this. Let's do it. That's for the last – we'll take 15 minutes on that, and then we'll come back to questions and it's stuff. A, it's a power end. off 180 in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, primarily, like here's the big picture overview. There's basically two different – types of flying clubs that exist and you've probably seen some of these mentioned like even in like trade of plane and stuff people selling shares of flying clubs so, like there's what they call an equity club which is where the people who are members uh, actually own part of the club that owns the airplanes right so when you buy into an equity club you're buying into the airplane like you're saying and most of the time those buy-ins are like they're like depending on the number of members if there's like 10 members it's like these are like six thousand dollars to buy into the club or whatever because you're actually buying a tenth of the airplane effectively right mm-hmm. um and those clubs are they do exist and people do them those are typically for smaller number of people you know in a group and these it's actually just one way that some people who want to own a plane but also want some other advantages find a way to like own a plane they make a private flying club with their four other buddies and that's their flying club with no mm-hmm. vacancies then there is what we did, which is a non-equity flying club is what I started, which basically means members don't own anything uh, or have any stake in this club. Th- this is a I – t- I joke with new members when they come in. Like I remind them, like, this is not a democracy. Um, you don't get to vote on – I mean, we, we do have monthly meetings. We're fully transparent with our members because we're all trying to do the same thing. But also, it's not a – it's just not a um, every decision that's made doesn't get run by all 30 of you. And I mean, it's, you know, there's a board that we've formed, we've appointed, and then there's, um, you know, there are officers of the board and I'm the president and we have a vice president, secretary and treasurer, and we have a seven person board of directors that we appointed. And it's an appointed board. It's not a voted board. We just, we appoint board members. Um, and so what we did was we, I, the guy I was renting 5-2 Lima from was no longer going to rent it once I passed my check ride because I was one of the only people flying it. He wasn't making any money and I was freaking out because I said, I don't, I'm not going to have an airplane. And I said, I did a little research and there were about three or four others of us who were looking for a plane. And I said, why don't we just start a club? And I went to the owner and I said, if I start a flying club, can I lease your air? Will you lease me your airplane? 
And he said, yeah, we'd love to see it fly. And I'd love to see a flying club here and see aviation successful. And so he was, we were very fortunate that the first owners we approached were sympathetic to our cause and wanted to see us help us be successful out of the gate. So all that to say, we, we had a very favorable, uh, we negotiated a very favorable lease agreement. Basically we pay them a monthly fee plus uh, X number of uh, dollars per tachometer hour because the way we structured our club is that we're not the club is not responsible for capital expenses on the plane meaning engine overhauls paint jobs anything that can convey can the value concurs with the plane and that goes with the plane when the lease is over is their problem maintenance is our problem though as a club tires oil changes um wear and tear items inspections you know those kind of things okay optional stuff right <laughs> exactly. The, yeah. The low dollar affair stuff. So, so, um, anyway, so we lease this plane from him, uh, club members pay a buy-in, we call it an initiation fee for legal purposes. So they come in and, um, they come in and, and, uh, pay us uh, a fee and it's, um, it's, it's north of $500. Um, the principle behind that was it, when we started the club with six of us, it was because we needed startup capital, but then we kept it because it's helped us weed out people who are jokers. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of a way to say, like, you're going to make a commitment to this group, and that's how we know that you're serious. And so they, mm-hmm. they buy in at that. Put a ring on it. Then our dues are $75 a month for members, and then the dry rate that I mentioned earlier for the 172 and I think our 235 currently is like 74 an hour or something dry. Oh, my God. Um, that's so cheap. It's amazing. And so it works out. The math works because we have, we have structured deals with our partners, our own airplane owner partners that are, that are fair. I mean, we're, we're paying, um, effectively 10% of the value of the airplane annually uh, is what our lease payments are. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a figure that's out there on the internet is kind of a standard for leasing back airplanes like that. And so we, we pay those dues. The club pays for insurance. Insurance is the single big, biggest expense the club has. You'll find that if you investigate it at all, there's only one carrier in the United States currently offering flying club insurance. Um, and it's, uh, we just renewed ours this year. It went up, I think 2% over last year, which we were actually very pleased. We thought it was going to be more than that. And that's, it's a lot of money. Um, we're paying for the insurance, um, paying for the inspections, uh, which actually one dull geek had a question about, do airplanes in your club fall under the commercial use requirements requiring a 100-hour inspection? The answer is no. We are not considered commercial use as a flying club. So unlike your flight school, these planes do not require 100-hour inspections. Uh, however, we decided... Um, we weren't comfortable certainly going annual either when we have airplanes that are flying 30 to 50 hours a month, depending on the season. And so, because can you imagine if you had a plane flying 40 hours a month, you know, by the time it was a year, it'd be 480 hours right on the plane. That just seems ludicrous um, to not have it inspected. So we have decided as a club, it's 12 months or 200 hours. Um, you know, it'll never be more than 12 months or more than 200 hours between inspections for our planes. Um, so that's the short of it. So that's kind of how, how we structured our plane. We, the other question people have all the time is like, you know, we can't be, you can't be a flight school. So how do, how do you have all these student pilots taking lessons in your club? The allotment for flying clubs is you can have, you can have approved instructors who teach, who can teach 
members of your club. But if you're going to do that, you can't you can't prevent people from bringing their own instructors. In other words, you have to approve them. Um, instructors, you have to you you can't you can't limit who can give instruction. Uh, or then you start you do start to fall into some of the gray areas of needing hundred hour inspections and operating as a commercial flight school. So wait, so that part's confusing to me. Or I didn't understand. So you're saying yeah. that the student must be a member of the club, but the instructor cannot be. Can be doesn't have to be. What what the rule is there to protect us from like um, operating as a covert flight school without having the rules. In other words, if we had if we were only allowed instruction from like Jim, uh, we're effectively paying Jim as a flight instructor. But like if um, if a member C comes in with uh, wanting to learn to fly but knows an instructor that wants to teach or or any other instructor wants to teach we we have to allow or at least be open to that uh, to looking at that so there's some gray areas with instruction but the point is like we can't publish I can't publish rates I can't offer instruction rates to our members like they have to work that out with instructors yeah. who are familiar with the club but you absolutely people who fly the airplane or are going to take lessons in them have to be fully fledged full paying members of the um of the club do you get a t-shirt we have not done any attire yet oh, we are having geez. a christmas party you, you, tell, are having a, you pay 75 dollars a month you don't get a Thursday. t-shirt chick-fil-a Chick-fil-A at the Christmas party on Thursday night. <laughs> I haven't even told the people who are coming yet, but there's nuggets. Hey, you know what? It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you got to keep the cost down, right? This is not about wasting money at uh, fancy Christmas parties. So, um, so is it possible for me to uh, be a member of your flying club if I do not live in your state? Sure. Okay, I mean, you'll take you'll take my money, is what you're saying. I'll take your money if you can come figure out how to get our planes. So yeah. Then, so like, okay. So <laughs> what if I was? I knew that I was going to take a month long, just insane trip, and I asked for eleven months' notice. To hell with your bylaws. I'm going to buy into your thing for a year, and then I'm going to cash in all of that in 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 like a, a 27 day uh, mega flight. Well, so you, <laughs> I'm just throwing scenarios, but I'm just curious. I can like, give you the scenario. So you lose yeah. the, the five, the, the buy-in, it doesn't apply to any flight time. So that's just cash to the club. So you, uh -huh. that doesn't get you anything. Okay. Nor do your $75 a month dues other than gives you access to pay us money for the hours that you want to use the plane. Right. Our, our rules uh, say um, if you're going to be gone on an overnight, for every overnight that you have the plane out, you have to, you'll be charged, whether you flew them or not, you'll be charged a minimum of, uh, on one of our planes, it's two hours, and the other, it's three. Uh, three hours per overnight that the plane is gone. So if you take a trip that is six hours of total flight time, but you're gone three days, what you're really going to get billed is nine hours of that plane. You know what I'm saying? So there's a minimum overnight fee, and that's just simply to keep people from taking the plane for three weeks and then coming back and I've only had that plane fly like four hours over a three week period. Like that's a problem. Okay. So I can't take the plane forever and not fly it and not have to pay for it. And I don't get a t-shirt and yeah. see, it's not okay. looking as good now, is it? It's not, it's, I don't know if this is cut out for me. No, I mean, I, I would love to do it. I guess I'm just, I'm scrounging for just, you know, 
especially, you know, um, not being independently wealthy um, and, you know, at a point of a, a particular deficit just to even get into this, this whole calamity and, and being so far from, uh, you know, owning a plane or something outright. I mean, and, and then, you know, around here, you, you're, you're going to get on a list for a hangar, you know, for like 11 years or whatever. I mean, it's just the, the prospects here are very bleak uh, for, for all of yeah. that. So really, that is the thing. But again, I've looked around at flying clubs and they're just insanely expensive and not worth it to me. Uh, and uh, especially like, why would I pay just about as much as I'm paying now so yes, okay. I can maybe I can take it on an overnight and still pay it in the same kind of way you're talking about. But I have to drive 45 minutes to get there. Right. I don't know. Like I'm just in this. Yeah, I'm no. in a, I don't know how unique my pinch is that I'm in or not. But I I feel like there's not quite a solution for people like me. That well, really and here's fits. here's the other benefit, and this this is um this is something that is is fairly common in non-equity flying clubs. Right, is that they lease these planes, and most of the time they're leasing them from club members, and that is the case in our flying club as well like I, I own the 235 me and a couple other club members own the 235 that we lease to the club um and so that's the only way that i am a quote-unquote airplane owner at this point is that uh, i have someone else that i'm leasing it to you know at this time now that yeah so the, here's the here, people say well why you why was well, how is that a good deal for you well there's so it's kind of it is and it isn't right because like um i'm on the title that i don't I don't, you know, for this plane, but I don't, I don't directly pay for it currently. But also I have to, if I want to use my own plane though, now that it's leased to the club, I have to be treated just like any other club oh. member. I have to schedule it like they do. I have to pay the hourly rate to the club. Like, I mean, it's, that's the deal with the flying club lease. No diplomatic immunity. No, none. It just no tre- executive privilege. Nope. <laughs> but it was a perfect thing because then you can go to your membership. Like as we grow, as we continue to grow, um, we're going to need to look for a third airplane. Well, now I can go to the membership and say, does anybody want, uh, you know, here, the club would be very interested in leasing a plane similar to this. Um, and then a group of them may get together and say, well, we would buy this plane, you know, and lease it to the club. And then, you know, people have it, it also opens the door to airplane ownership for people who, who may not be able to do it right now on their own. Who knows where we'll be in five years? Maybe it'll be time to pull the 235 out of the club and it'll just be my plane at that point. Who knows? Um, yeah. But it's a and neat, by, it's by got, then that 235 will be worth, you know. $300,000. The way things are going. Uh, real quick, and then we'll move on. The other, I should mention, in fairness, I mentioned airplane owners as our partners, but like we've been very, very fortunate to have, because I see all the comments going on about hangar space being expensive and hard to find, and you know, you mentioned it too. Um, I should put the comments back on the screen so everybody can see what's going on. So um, we've been very fortunate to have uh, an airport like Fairmont that has been incredibly supportive of the club. And I don't mean, I mean, we're not getting any special favors. We had to get on the hangar waiting list like everybody else. And it just so happened that we, we were in line. We had people's name on the list that were in the club before we got our second plane. So a hangar opened up and we were already on the waiting list. Um, but have been it's tremendously supportive of what we're trying to do there because we, I think the flying club has been responsible for a very large percentage of the activity at that airport since it started. 
Right. You're uh, organizing like a, it's like, you, it's like you start having punk rock shows in the back and then, you know, <laughs> like now, now it's like a legit venue and people right. can sell beer and, exactly. and it's bringing attraction and, and economy in that wouldn't be there. Otherwise you're starting, you're building something. Whereas I'm trying to sort of infiltrate something. <laughs> the airport has been incredibly uh, supportive as, yeah, and we're so also cool. very fortunate to have uh and I'm going to just name him, Josh Craddock, who owns Flight MX, which is the maintenance shop on the field at Fairmont Airport, um, who I can't tell you what I've learned over the last 18 months or so of both airplane ownership and then also the flying club formation, how absolutely critical it is to have a partner, like a maintenance partner. Like, I don't just mean like having a guy you know, that fixes your planes. I mean like somebody who is also... Um, who cares about what you're doing and is like there to like help when you need it. And like, you cannot put a price on it. And so don't try and get weird and go to the bargain basement and like try to just shop yeah. it around, like find someone who you trust and who is good for you and then stick with them. And um, it's really, really hard to put a price tag uh on that kind of thing. So, so yeah, one dull geek um, is saying here uh, that he's talking about the AOPA flying club registry or whatever. It's funny. Cause when Chris, when you and I were talking about this a, a while back, you had said, well, I don't know, just go look on the, <laughs> the AOPA thing. Or like, you know what? I'm going to pull it up here right now. And then you, you got, then you were like, Oh yeah, there's wow. nothing here. It's yeah. actually weird around there. You're in a void. Uh, so yeah, thanks, uh, one dull geek. We, I have looked at that and there's nothing there, uh, for me really. There's, it's, it's very strange here, uh, because there's a lot of aviation going on. We've got Murfreesboro, which is where MTSU is. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, aviation college level type things going on over there. And then you've got John Toon airport here, which is pretty darn busy airport, uh, BNA right here, pretty darn busy airport. And a lot of these tertiary kind of surrounding uh, airports, but man, it's just like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the deal is. By the way, this has nothing to do with anything. Uh, and, and we'll get to Steven's thing here real quick, but uh, uh, Chris, I just wanted to tell you something. Um, my last flight for the first time, I got recognized over the radio by another yeah. pilot and uh, I didn't ever stop repeating to my wife, did you hear that that guy recognized me? Um, <laughs> it is it fun. That a, it was such a cool thing. There's like these little sort of miniature rites of passage through the whole process. And, uh, and I, I felt like, I felt Good like somebody, you. I felt That's like somebody, awesome. Chris. Uh, Stephen Caldwell asks, is the 235 considered complex? That's a follow up going back to talking about the, my plane. It is not complex. It um, is, however, high performance. Um, cause it's got a engine over 200 horsepower. It has one of the components of complexity, right? With the, um, um, fixed, I'm sorry, the, uh, fixed speed propeller, but it does not have the, uh, does not have the landing gear. So it does not, you do not need a complex endorsement, but you do need a high performance endorsement. I think I think David David here is uh, lamenting the strange void that happened after, happened after the joke I told earlier. Um, so, uh, have you ever um, have you ever flown a plane with a retractable gear, Chris? I have not. It's on my list, though. 
Mm. It's on my list as is tailwheel. Cause my instructor, Tyler, I've met, I know I've mentioned he bought a Citabria and it is, uh, I see he's flying it all the time. It's yellow and awesome. And, uh, I want to, I want to do the tailwheel thing, but I have not, I've not flown a retractable, uh, gear airplane yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm still contemplating getting a complex rating and flying the arrow that's available to me. And that is available for longer trips and all that. Um, it's just more expensive, but, um, constant speed prop. Thank you. One dog geek. That was my, I had a complete, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> what'd you call it? Constant, constant pitch or something. I don't it's know. It's such a I confusing said. term because it doesn't well, sound like what it is. Constant speed, variable pitch, ver- uh, variable speed, constant pitch. You know, there's, it's, um, yeah, but he's right. Constant speed is what I was trying to spit out there. But like that sounds to me like fixed gear bicycle, which means it has no gears, meaning that it's just a direct drive kind of a thing, right? So it's anyway. I just work here. Don't get caught up. It has a blue. It has a blue lever. That's my my plane has a blue lever. <laughs> How many horsepower is it? You said it's over two hundred, but what is it? Two three two thirty five. Oh, is that why it's called a two thirty five? I didn't even yep. know that. Yep. How did That's I not why. know that? That is why. So the the have you ever flown a Piper Warrior? I flew a Warrior for my very first flight ever flight hour I ever took at the flight school in Morgantown. Oh uh, yeah, and it was um, yeah, it was fine. Do you look back on your um? Do you ever go back and kind of revisit just to, for whatever reason your early training videos? I do. I do because it's it, the weirdest thing, right? It's very weird. Yeah. It's very weird to see the things that have me so freaked out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like we went out in the, t- we went out in the 172 the other night. I kid you not. I, uh, I told, I told David who was with me, uh, we did a couple high speed taxis and we're just mo- maneuvering on the ground even. And I'm like, this thing feels like I could just like with my pinky, like do make it do whatever I need it to do after even, I mean, it's not like the 235 is like an airliner, right? But it is enough. Like it is enough of a difference of an airplane that it feels like a bit, it feels big. And then, then you get back in this one. It was like, but I, I just, we were remarking a couple of times, not, that's not a complacency thing at all, or that I think I have things figured out. Cause it was, things can always, you just, you know, you don't, you don't, I don't. Um, but it was just like, man, I remember some of the stuff I would have, I would have went around about two of the five landings that we did the other day, like in my training. Cause I was like, nope, nope. But I realized now, like, you know, the more, you know, the more you realize, you know, you've got things aren't as bad as you think they are <laughs> when you, when you're first learning to fly. Yeah. I, I've had the, one of the things I've noticed when I've gone back. Uh, and the reason, one of the reasons I've been kind of going back is because uh, I have a friend who's training and she just started and she's maybe seven or eight lessons in and, you know, having all the typical things, right? Like I feel like I should know so much more than I do. I'm so nervous, all these things. And so I'm always just trying to figure out i'm like okay what are you doing the next lesson like she says okay i'm doing steep turns or whatever so i go back in my videos and find like the first time i did steep turns and i'm just a mess or whatever (laughs) and i send her those uh videos but one of the things that i noticed is that uh back then the airport that i fly out of was uh non-towered and how my situational awareness was just like even on my solo I, I, I can't believe I, I hadn't, I thought that I had some kind of mental picture of what was really going on, but I'm realizing 
I didn't even really understand what that guy said or, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, this guy, that, that plane, like I, I see myself and I'm like, you should probably do a 360 and space yourself or what? Like, I just didn't understand the speeds of planes and just all those little nuances. Right. And, uh, it's kind of almost, it's like, imagine if you could go back and watch a video of yourself learning how to ride a bike and you just, you know, you're like, ah, you know, it's, it's a for little sure. bit frightening. Spatial um, awareness. That definitely has improved for me. Uh, just kind of have an understanding of where you are in space and how you fit in and, um, where you should go. I still occasionally though, I still occasionally have to really think this is embarrassing. I really have to look twice before I like call up a tower to report my position to make sure that I am where I am going to say that I am. Like I've caught myself even in recent videos, like leaving Clarksburg. Clarksburg is about, I don't know, eight miles South of the Fairmont airport or whatever it is, 10 miles South. I don't know. Um, but I will still tell, like, depart, uh, tell, tell Clarksburg Tower, I'm going to depart the area southbound when I'm going back to Fairmont. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm departing northbound because Clarksburg is south of me, but I will just, I'll just say that for some reason. Or, um, uh, like, I'll have to do a double take just to make sure that I'm telling the tower I'm like 12 miles east with whatever. Like, I got to really, you know, I have to just, make sure of where I've been with some people who just like are like a human compass who just com- continuously yeah, know yeah. their position like to everything. And I've just, I'm not one of those people. I have to think about it. Yeah. My instructor, we get so frustrated with me. Like you can't see that, you know, or what, like there's that tower, right? There, like you don't see that thing right there. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like I, I don't, my eyes don't work. Uh, there's all that sort of skill that, um, yeah, actually, what I do is I fudge intentionally now my location to be slightly different than what it is to get preferential treatment to land, right? So yeah, no, uh-huh. yeah, no yeah, but it's like if I'm west, if I'm just even a little bit northwest, I'll just go ahead and say that I'm northwest so that I get a direct base, uh, you know, or or straight in uh, as opposed to entering on the forty-five. And uh, you know, I'm just saying, you learn yeah, these things. Goodies. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, all right. Good job. That was a uh, was good talking with everybody tonight. Um, we're going to stick on this two-week schedule. However, we are going to take a week off between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, and we'll be back uh, on whatever that is. January 5th, I think, is the week between. And we'll record our next episode on then. And I see that you have prepared tonight, as I've been asking for repeatedly, to, uh, to play <laughs> us out tonight. Thanks, hey, everybody. Listen. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, by the way, just uh, my, my New Year's, uh, my goal between now and New Year's is to reach, I'm at 96 hours, and I'm trying to get to 100 hours. So, so, you fly, I have no question you'll get there. We'll see. We'll, we'll we'll see how the weather does. But uh, yeah, thanks everybody for all all the the input. And let me see. I don't even know if I can hear this. Can, can you hear this? No, I can. Okay. Here we'll do Blade Runner. Yeah.